This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. To paraphrase Truman Burbank, good morning, and in case it's not morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night to you as listeners. You're listening to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano, and today I'm pleased to welcome Ryan Beni Thomaseb to the show, and he's going to speak with me about his book, The 21st Century School Library, A Model for Innovative Teaching and Learning, and the book is available from John Cat Educational. Ryan is Director of Library Services at the Meadowbrook School in Weston, Massachusetts, and Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to have, it's really good to be here with you, Ross. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you here. And why don't we start um, right here? Why, Brian? Why did you want to become a librarian? Oh my goodness, so many reasons. Uh, I spent my first part of my career as an educator, as an English teacher, and so I was teaching, you know, what I think a lot of us refer to as textual literacy mm-hmm. exclusively, and I loved it. And I I uh, loved my students. I love the format and structure of the day with teaching English, but I don't know, it's like seven or eight years in, I, I saw what, after visiting other schools and talking with our own school librarian at our school, I saw what, uh, what today's school librarians are doing, and I was just fascinated. It was so, um, they're getting into a lot more classrooms, um, teaching different kinds of literacy, like textual literacy, digital literacy, you know, technological literacy, like just so there are other elements to it, but while still having that that emphasis on uh, books and, and reading and, and and textual literacy. So I don't know, the, the field seemed so open and like it was changing so quickly, it seemed really exciting. And so I want I started taking classes toward getting my library, school library uh, teacher licensure. Is there any particular ways in which, I mean, clearly uh, I'm certain there are real ways during your career in which the role has changed and evolved, um, but also there must be certain uh, 
certain things you better understand now or you know, have a different perspective on now than when you were first getting into it and, and you have a, a different understanding of all the various um, components of the role. Is there anything in particular that you didn't necessarily know about or anticipate when you got started that now you kind of see as a really critical element of the role? You know, I, I think I had a, a basic sense that building community would be involved in this role. I think I intuitively knew that. I saw that when the librarians I admired, like I said, in my school, other schools I visited. I, I guess I just maybe underestimated just how important that is. The idea of building relationships and building community with, within the larger communities is, I think, of the utmost importance for school librarians today. So I think that that's been a, and it's, it wasn't like a difficult learning curve in any way. Like I enjoy that. Like I enjoy welcoming people into the space. It almost has, I think it does actually have like a customer service kind of orientation to it in terms of the librarian's role within the, you know, the, the caretaker of that space, the library. Um, one thing that really you know, stands out to me just <laughs> at, a, at a almost a high, highly superficial level is the subtitle of the book right, is a model for innovative teaching and learning. Um, and some people may almost be surprised by that when they're thinking, well, it, is this book yeah. about librarians or what? And you're, you're telling me about innovative teaching and learning, but you really write about how the library is the hub of innovation in the school. And um, you also write a lot about, you know, the, the role in which the librarian can play as an, um, you know, instructional leader, as a leader in helping schools to develop their teaching strategies. And in addition to, of course, being a resource to teachers. Um, so can you kind of talk through that a little bit? One, you know, why uh, the library serves as that hub of innovation and um, two, specifically, like why the librarian is such an important uh, member of the instructional staff. Yeah, I think it's because we've had to, as, as librarians, we've had to change and adapt based on the way schools are changing, the way um, what kids need. Like that has changed over the past 20 years a lot, especially with the internet. And so um, I think learning how to adapt to the specific needs of today's kids and also like within the needs of our specific schools, because the role really does look quite different from school to school. Um, and so I think that's how and why we've, because we've had to change and adapt so much, I think we've had to innovate in that process. And so I think we have a lot to offer in terms of, of teaching innovation and modeling it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, as far as really being, uh, you know, a member of the, the teaching team, um, you know, as a librarian, uh, I think that that may be something that not, is not at the, the first bullet point um, that educators from all different roles would think of when they think about, okay, who's the librarian? Um, and, uh, you know, and obviously that's critical to your a presentation of the role and to, to the way in which you engage with the role. And, and you share many examples in the book of other librarians who are doing this. So um, would love you to also kind of just fill in the blanks on that one as far as why we need to be thinking about librarians as a core member of that teaching team. 
Yeah, I think the, the primary reason is that <clears throat> we see most of the time, again, it varies, the, the role does vary to an extent from school to school, but we see most, if not all of the students in the school. So we have eyes kind of everywhere. And we're also working with teachers throughout the school. So I often find that I have a pretty good bird's eye view, a pretty good perspective of what's happening school-wide, what's going on with particular grade levels, um, in terms of social dynamics. So there, there is, because of our perspective, our broad perspective on the school and the fact that we're, not only do we have that, but we're also like ex actually teaching in each of those grade levels. Um, or in, at least interacting with them and book checks, book checkouts and things of that nature. Like we, we do have um, a pretty, pretty good sense of how things are going. And so I think that's a valuable perspective to be on um, leadership teams, frankly. Yeah, right. And you talk about the variance school to school and some of that, you know, of course, is by design, um, by nature of you know, the particular student body composition of the school or what the faculty looks like or um, the different, you know, focal points of the school leadership. Um, but I wonder also, is there a potential that some of it is just an opportunity for more dialogue and communication around the role and the ways in which um, librarians could be engaging with different parts of the teaching and learning process and they may not always be in each individual school. And you know, I I'm, think about this a lot because so many of the um, dynamics playing out around K-12 education uh, really do boil down to communication and the way in which um, we're communicating, whether it's within schools, whether it's between educators and students, between yeah. administrators and teachers, between teachers and parents, right? And saying perhaps one, you know, it could be that, for example, administrators have a different understanding of the role, what the role is, what it should be, what it could be. Um, and because there hasn't been a lot of dialogue around it, it's not necessarily that the gap isn't bridged or, you know, potentially they may have some of these things in mind, <laughs> but, but not think that the librarian um, wants to step into some of those gaps. So um, what opportunity do you see potentially for having more of that open dialogue between all the various roles in our schools about um, really what a, you know, what a helpful utility a librarian can be in the 21st century? Yeah, I think, well, that was my primary purpose for writing this book, honestly, because I feel like there's still so many misconceptions about what today's school librarians do. So many people have like, <laughs> like there was even in a, in a recent Pixar film, I forget which one it was, um, like a, a joke about, you know, a librarian um, job being just a shush kids, right. shush people. And so that, that kind of stereotype, uh, and a lot of us had those librarians. I had one of those librarians as a kid, but most, I mean, and there still are some of those to be, you know, there, but there are bad apples, of course, everywhere in every field. But the vast majority of today's school librarians are, um, again, innovative thinkers, innovative doers. And um, I, I really wanted to give educated, like teachers and administrators specifically a better sense of what we do and how we can help. Um, and so, so that if there are librarians who are not kind of taking on some of these leadership initiatives in their school, that administrators, for example, know that they can. Um, and that they, mm -hmm. they're able to, that they do actually have the skill sets that uh, that allow them to be leaders within the community. Yeah, and I, and I 
you know, certainly think in terms of why this is an important book for right now, um, that that's mm -hmm. a critical message uh, when we think about many of the challenges around teacher burnout and um, the struggles that schools are having with retention and teachers either choosing to move to a different school or um, perhaps to a different line of work and how invariably comes down to um, lack of resources in, in whatever um, you know yeah. way that takes shape in a particular school. Uh, and ultimately there may be a really valuable resource here that is available in a lot of cases that the two parties being that individual teacher, um, you know, maybe they're newer to the to the job, right? And they haven't quite acclimated to all the various resources and and that individual librarian um, where uh, it would be good for teachers to know to seek out, oh, you know what, here's somebody I can go to if I'm looking for help in, in these areas. Uh, like, how would you, um, what, you know, what would you say to maybe a newer teacher who is thinking, okay, I'm feeling a little bit isolated here. I'm still getting my feet under me, right? I'm not 100% certain exactly everything I'm doing here, but I'm really passionate about this and I want to be successful and I want my students to learn, um, but I don't know where to go. Oh, maybe I should go check out the library. Absolutely. I would say come talk to us because we want to work with you. We really, really want to work with you. We get excited about it. We love collaborating with teachers um, and, I think it's, you know, it's certainly maybe a little more work on the front end, just planning something together. But once, if both parties are interested, that could be a fun process, you know, starting to plan some kind of collaboration, whether that's a lesson, a unit, or a project of some kind. Um, and once it's planned and, uh, or at least the plans have begun to be made, um, I think things, you know, fall into place and then it actually makes things easier for the teacher and more enjoyable. And like you, like you were, you know, getting at less ice, it makes the teacher less isolated as well. And li li librarians do not like to be isolated. Right. Again, contrary to that stereotype <laughs> from right. you know, years and years ago of like the, the shushing librarian who's the guardian of the books in the library. Uh, we want, we often want to get out of the space or invite people into the space to co-teach um, and so there are so many opportunities and because we do work across content areas too, right? Mm -hmm. So we can work with, we can do collaborations with math teachers, which I've done in science and, and English. And so, you know, the possibilities are endless really. And so we just want to collaborate. We want, we have our own skills, the course that we're trying to teach related to collaboration and multiple literacies and things of that nature we're excited to kind of figure out creative ways to teach what we're, you know, kind of what, what I, one of the terms I came across in, while researching for the book was this idea of the meta curriculum, mm -hmm. like this idea of like the skills that students need kind of across all content areas and even grade levels. And so like, we, we always have that kind of meta curriculum in mind. And I think that, that bird's eye view, that, that larger perspective I was talking about also can be helpful for a new teacher um, when planning projects or lessons. Right, yeah, and, and it almost you know, makes me think if you take a step back that some of the uh, common laments, I would say, about schools or, or you know, criticisms about schools regarding their um, ability to be the best fit for each individual students comes down to things that I would maybe categorize as like 
failing to define the comprehensive educational experience. Um, and what I mean by that is something like saying, oh, as a student, you know, I didn't really like school. I just wanted to, you know, read my own books or, um, or, you know, one I was reading recently that I, I thought wasn't, the logic was missing a few pieces is um, <laughs> that schools don't, um, uh, prioritize allowing students to explore their passions and you know maybe even if you look at the stereotypical um, 4.0 GPA student that it's more of a well-rounded generalist approach and they're putting equal effort into everything and they're not really diving into that thing that they really love and you know in, in some ways that's I would say incorrect anyway because what actually ends up happening probably for a lot of students is the thing there's a couple of those subjects that come easier to you and if the ones that come easier to you also happen to be the ones you particularly enjoy you actually spend less time on those because you're spending more time on the ones that are more difficult right and you know there's not a hundred percent correlation sometimes the things that are difficult are the things that we enjoy the most and there's an important lesson to learn in working through those difficulties however there's also an opportunity to say, okay, is there additional room for exploration on the things that we really are interested in, passionate about, enjoying? Well, that's the library, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and the library is an important part of the school. You're right, the library should be the heart of the school. So um, kind of setting up sort of a false dichotomy between, well, I don't like school, but I love books is a, kind of a misunderstanding of the role that the library could play. Yeah. Yeah, we want to help students find opportunities to dive into subjects, topics that they're they're interested in. And I mean, much has been written about this in other places, but like when students are more invested in what they're learning, and if they're more invested in a particular kind of research project because they uh, have been given the space or freedom to to choose, um, whether that's you know. I think it is helpful in most K through 12 settings, at least to give them, you know, some boundaries. So it's not completely open-ended, but give them choices. And um, to, like you said, explore things that they're actually passionate about, ideally, then that takes away a lot of the um, classroom management issues because when right. they're interested in doing what they're doing, you, you have very little problems in terms of like trying to get them back into back on task. Um, or, or things like that. And so, yeah, the more choice, the better I found. And I found that as uh, an English teacher in terms of writing assignments, and I found it as a librarian um, in terms of like, uh, you know, many writing assignments or, or reading related projects or research projects across the board. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and uh, yeah, I actually have, you know, the chapter six of the book is revitalizing research. And that really yeah. relates to this. Um, and you write about inviting students to follow their curiosity and create something original that shows their learning. And the point being that um, if we are meant to in, engage in deep research around a topic that's not of interest, it, the whole thing seems dreadfully boring, right? And yes. I think we all can relate to that being assigned to do a deep dive right? on a topic that just is not just is not in our area of interest versus how many 
countless hours can you spend diving into something that is interesting to you and, and maybe really boring to somebody else, right? I, the past few days, I um, just was, you know, sparked thinking about a, a couple of things with baseball statistics and ended up di- going down these rabbit holes and writing yep. a couple of essays on things. And a lot of people, even fans of the sport would say, well, this is I don't care about this is boring. <laughs> Why do you want to do this? But to me, um, yeah. it was really interesting to compare and contrast and to look at the numbers, right? And even through interests like that, I found myself, you know, I never thought of myself as particularly uh, math um, savvy in my schooling days, right? I did fine in math class, but it was never one of the subjects that I thought that's my thing. And right. yet by exploring it in the context of things that I was interested in said, actually, I'm actually pretty good at this, right? So, um, you know, but what, what do you see? I mean, I see this, you know, this chapter on revitalizing research as, uh, you know, one of the more important pieces of the book, in my estimation, because, it really is, I mean, you know, you talk about, um, of course, real world learning, right? And why students yeah. are more engaged in that. And that's really what, this is what research is in the real world, right? It's it's investigating something original, something new, trying to solve a real problem that exists. It's not necessarily going back and re-researching something that has already been done. You know, there's some of that that happens. Um, right. in science, but for the most part, it's exploring new frontiers. Um, and that's really motivating to kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing I should say about revitalizing research and this idea of doing that is I read a book years ago, and I think I referenced this in my book too, called the Multi-Genre Research Paper by Tom Romano. Uh, I cannot recommend that book highly enough. It's so, it's such a great concept. And again, I write, I kind of detail this in the book a bit, but I took that idea of a multi-genre research paper and turned, and with some other teachers turned it into a multi-genre research project over the course of a year with our fifth grade. And that's something that we started, I think like three or four years ago now and has continued. And it's become kind of this capstone experience for our elementary school at this K through eight school where I work. Um, Anyway, the basic idea is research a topic of, of great interest to you or something that you would potentially be great interest, have great interest in. Because I think the word passion does throw off some kids sometimes because they may they not they might not feel passionate about something quite yet. They may have several things that they're very interested in or somewhat interested in, but some kids don't have a quote unquote passion. And so if you open it up to like, like the word curiosity, I think it's really helpful too. like, what is a topic you're really curious about? Um, and maybe that's within science class, for example, um, like what's, what's a science topic that you're curious about. And then you give them the time, space and resources. And the librarian would be a very helpful resource here right, too, right. to help them research that topic effectively to find age appropriate information about that topic. And then, and that's going to take a while, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And ideally, they come up with some kind of um, overarching uh, like thesis, some kind of argument that they want to make about that topic after they've done that research or throughout the process of doing that research. They, they kind of develop and hone that, that thesis or overarching argument. And once they have the research and the argument, then they can create um, kind of original creative pieces 
of some kind or multiple kinds that help that, that communicate all those facts and help prove their thesis. So it's a pretty, it's a unique, it's a super challenging process because the traditional research paper is not that challenging, really. I mean, you know, I mean, it can be certain elements of it can be for, you know, for kids, but I think that the overarching idea is quite simple, right? You research a topic that your teachers told you to research, you use these, these websites or these databases and you churn out a paper and it's not inspiring. And because the multi-genre approach is challenging and, and, and because it requires a lot of creativity, like that's the part that I think is most inspiring to kids about this kind of research. When their creativity, when they're allowed to tap into that, that's where they get excited. And that's where they um, start spending time working on the project outside of school. Um, and that's when they, you, know, you, you see them excitedly telling, talking to parents or peers about their topic and about their project and what they're creating. Um, so I think giving them the space to have creative outputs beyond a traditional research paper is really important with this too, because there are so many ways to prove their learning. And, a, you know, and there can be, if the, if the writing component is, you know, one of the, the skills that you want them to have for that, like, like a traditional kind of analytical uh, writing component is important for your class or for that project, that's fine. But you can also give them space in other ways or in other parts of that final output, whatever it is, to, again, kind of be a little bit more creative while still, again, communicating those facts. Right. Yeah. One of the things that's probably fair to say is if you know what the the conclusion is um, when you're assigning the paper, then it's not really a research paper, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it could be, you know, investigative or you know, there, there certainly are applications for uh, you know, reading about a historical figure or something like that. Mm -hmm. But yet, if there's not maybe some unique conclusions that a student's going to draw, or perhaps even discovering something, no matter the subject area, that you didn't really know, you just knew you were going to look at something. Right? Yeah, I mean, that is the true heart of research. And, you know, that's pretty fulfilling to a student to think about the fact that they came up with something that nobody else um, necessarily would have found on their own. And, um, you know, it really is uh, pretty, uh, when you think about what's really motivating and, um, you know, and it can be hard, right? It's sometimes it's easier said than done. Um, recently here on the podcast, we had uh, Carrie Borkowski talking about her book, Dancing with Discomfort, which is um, about kind of navigating those in-between moments and transitions. And I can almost see how, you know, for schools, whether I'm, it's a school leader or, um, maybe I'm, you know, head of a curriculum or a teacher, and you know, in a, in a particular role where we're sort of trying to navigate some of these transitions between more of our traditional prescribed curriculum and being able to integrate in some of this more open research and exploration. And um, once you kind of get to the other side, yeah. you sort of will likely see the level of engagement and interest that students have, but in the middle, there is a ton of uncertainty about how it's going to turn out. There easily could be students that dive into something and they, you know, explore it for a while and then there's no there there, right? That That's part of it is that we can't always guarantee that whatever we research is going to result in much. 
Um, you know, what would you say in a, in a case like that to saying, okay, we, we've never done anything like this before. We really would like to, we think it has the potential to impact our students, but kind of how do we steal ourselves to give it a shot? I would say, talk to your librarian. Because we, again, we want to help with that. And we have the experience teaching research skills explicitly. And we can help plan that kind of project or unit or lesson, whatever it is. And there are certain, you know, tricks that we have up our sleeves too, like even that will um, kind of height, even heighten that sense of motivation for students even more, which is something as simple as giving students space, maybe during kind of an adjacent library class, um, for example, to um, try to get in touch with someone who is an expert on their topic. Or uh, like when I've given students space to do that, it's just, they are so invested and they also learn really important skill, like, skills, kind of going back to that idea of the meta curriculum, again, like the skills that should, you know, students should develop kind of across all content areas that all teachers should be working on. like learning how to interact with or interview an adult. <laughs> I mean, that alone, what a valuable skill or how to, um, or maybe just a reminder of how to address an email to someone outside the school or make a phone call. Even we've had students in the past make phone calls to experts or after we've helped connect them um, in some way. Um, and often the other cool thing about this is that there are often experts within the kind of the parent body of the community too. So like they're, they're not even that far away. They're, you know, people who, whose job it is to, you know, uh, study certain topics or uh, to work on certain topics. So I think, again, talking to, talking to your school librarian, um, if you have an idea for where there might be space for um, kind of a, uh, a bigger research project, I think, is, is helpful. But it also doesn't have to be big. The other thing is, like, giving students space um, to be creative and their output for after doing research on a topic um, is, is pretty easy to do. One, one example of that that I've written about before is having them research a topic of interest or a topic within a, a list that you've given them related to your class. The student completes that research process, and then they incorporate, this works really well with elementary schoolers, for example. So I teach you know, students in first through eight myself, um, but what I've used with like uh, upper elementary students is, okay, you've researched this topic, now communicate 10 to 15 facts that you've learned in your research about that topic in a like one or two page uh, fictional narrative. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, once you're done, either highlight it within the document where each of those facts are, and they love that. And it's so much more engaging than um, just like, and for not only for the kid, but also for the teacher reading those, like they're often right. super entertaining. So it's more fun, more interesting, more engaging for everyone involved when you um, kind of just make a small change like that and in, in, in what the students are asked to create. Yeah. The space to be creative. Yeah. Yeah, and and certainly, I mean, in, you know, when you write about these essential twenty first century skills, you're talking about real world learning and exploration, and um, you know, also, I, you know, I think it's important to figure out what that balance is, right? As the as the guide um, to learning, you know, it, clearly a 
a really valuable benefit of the 21st century and of our technology has been the democratization of education and mm. um, improving access to information, but um, information literacy right, and digital yeah. literacy as those two things interact are also critical skills in there. And actually, this is like a cliche thing, but I, as yeah. I was thinking about this earlier, I was like, you know, I, I haven't read the actual definition of information in a while, but I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I went through and it's like knowledge gained through study, communication, research, instruction, et cetera, factual data, right? Um, and I think that's like where we sort of have lost the thread in a lot of places. Like there's endless words out there, but it's not all information, right? Um, you know, I'm of the, you know, the generation when I was in college, like Wikipedia existed, but only like the most forward thinking teachers would say, well, use that, you know, don't use it as a primary source, but check it out and kind of use that as a baseline, right? Others would still be saying, don't even look at that site at all. And now um, it's, you know, there's no care given a lot of times to where information comes from or not an understanding of what's uh, actually factual or um, reputable source. So um, kind of, you know, how do you also work on finding that balance between, okay, we want kind of open research, but also we need to be understanding literacy around what that information is. Oh my goodness. It's so challenging. No question. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I love that you share that definition of information. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to define. I mean, I think a lot of what we see online, especially a lot of people just refer to now as content, creating right. content, um, finding content online. And yeah, I think it's just a matter of, it's, it's ongoing. Like, I feel like the way I teach this changes every year a little bit, um, because the internet's changed. Like, like even looking at a site like CNN, um, like CNN.com, very um, unclear sometimes what you're, if whether you're about to click on something that's opinion-based or fact-based, right. the law is unclear. And also like I've noticed it's difficult there to sometimes discern at first glance between a news article and an advertisement. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I think giving students opportunities to practice finding information, um, teaching them to look for information about the author of, of who wrote that, thinking about the source, where the information is actually showing up online, what's the website, and really constantly reminding them to ask themselves questions, to slow themselves down, ask themselves questions about the information that they're seeing, whether or not, to your point, it's, it, it is information, whether it's someone's opinion with some information kind of interspersed or information exaggerated to make a larger point, it's hard. And so I think it's hard for adults to do. I mean, that's why conspiracy theories are proliferate like they do. Right. And, uh, and so I think it's just a matter of in each grade level, you know, starting as early as possible, like maybe even first or second grade, I think we start um, talking about some of these things, finding time to give students practice with finding good information and, and have teachers nearby to ask questions. And again, so if you're a teacher and you are doing any kind of research or anything that requires finding information online, whether or not you're calling it research, um, 
having a librarian come in <laughs> right. is a really helpful thing to do because we can be not only an extra, you know, person in the room to assist um, with answering student que student questions, but we can also provide some guidance on how to make that lesson as successful as possible. Because, right. Yeah, I think that's the key. I just think it's it's repeated practice. It's staying up to date and learning. Yeah, you know, teaching students how to be critical of what they're what they see. Yeah, that critical thinking piece, and sometimes yeah. even just knowing a few basic questions to ask is um, it, it doesn't you don't need that much explicit guidance on it. You know, if a, a lot of students can read something, and if they know to ask the question, is this somebody's opinion or is this fact? Yeah. They can sort of figure that out, right? It's when you don't really know to ask that question that you read through it and then all, you know, you kind of later on the information is just sort of sitting in your head and you forget where it came from. And, and then you don't realize if you don't sort of ask those critical questions in the moment and categorize it appropriately, um, then it all just kind of fits together and it, it does become difficult to discern. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Ryan, we're getting close to the end of our conversation, but one thing that I, I did want to make sure to ask, because I, I think it's another important role that you lay out of the librarian, and I think it's something that I would imagine a number of listeners would be interested in, is uh, the librarian's role in, in centering inclusivity for the school, and yeah. um you know, and because librarians are actually engaged in staying up to date and the research on that and the reading around, you know, what are the the things that are most important to, to focus on and to be aware of. I think that's really important because I, I think educators of all roles uh, do prioritize this, but, um, but it can also feel like things are always changing quickly or there's just, you know, things that we weren't aware of yet or what, yeah. what, you know, was yeah. the thing that we were thinking about last year is different now. And um, it can turn into a case where people for whom this is important and they, they really want to, to be a positive influence um, with respect to, to inclusivity and diversity in the schools um, aren't quite sure what to do. Um, and that's, again, another, another role where the librarian is a great resource. Yeah, I think it boils down to uh, the fact that we are constantly building and curating a diverse collection of books. Mm -hmm. um, the American Association of School Librarians, like the, the, this kind of larger body that kind of guides a lot of the work that we do um, to make sure it's, you know, somewhat consistent from school to school. Um, they, you know, as part of our charge is to build diverse collections of books. And so because we're constantly thinking about that, um, because we're constantly thinking about representation in the literature that we have in the school library, we can be really helpful partners in something as simple as diversifying a, a classroom library, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously a, is so important and so many classroom libraries. And, and also, you know, we can also help with finding grants and, and funding if, if, you know, a teacher needs books and needs to, and, and we, because we have that kind of overarching charge, we, we can help, we can have those conversations. We can, um, we can help design lessons. We can help, you know, um, guide what kind of professional development is happening around these topics um, because we're kind of constantly participating in that conversation because of the books that we're built, you know, that we're building 
or the books that we're gathering that we're buying and, and finding um, and asking for donations for in the library. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So if it hasn't been clear already to our listeners and this book, is, I mean, it's it's a 21st century school library, right, with a Y, not librarian. So this book is written for um, all all educator roles and there's things in here to get um, that, that'll really help you. So as we close, uh, one of the questions we like to ask at the end is if, you know, if a reader can only read one part of the book, what should it be? And, and I think in this case, we should split it up. If a non-librarian can only read one part of the book, what should they look at first? And then for a librarians, if there's only one thing they can go to, or at least one thing they can check out first, what should it be? Oh, that's such a great question. I would say, chap improving access we had talked too much about that but i think the chapter two is on improving access to books information and technology and i feel like that's important across the board i work at an independent school um i'm fortunate enough to have you know a, a you know uh solid budget for our, to buy books and to buy um uh, certain parts you know certain technologies to have within the space. Um, but that's not true across the board. And, but even here, improving access is top of mind because um, all student bodies, no matter where, you know, where the school is, there are students who don't have access to certain things, certain resources that, um, and librarians can help teachers and administrators and school communities um, get better access to those things. Right. Again, books, information, and technology. So I, I would say that's probably one of the most important. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on The Authority today. Uh, listeners, we're going to put information in the show notes about Ryan's book, 21st Century School Library, and where you can find it. And please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews, or visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our other shows. Thanks so much, Ross. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.